encourage about that. Let's take our Bible study. We're going to do a Bible study this evening from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, there's a possibility as we get towards this year, I'll probably be preaching through 1 Timothy a little bit just to encourage us. But 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, has got a lot of good stuff here that I, I want us to look at here. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And if your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, why don't you share your Bible with them, help them find their spot. That'll be a blessing here tonight. How many glad you're in church tonight? Amen? Yeah. And I'm glad I'm in church. I'm thankful for all the mothers here. I realize it's Mother Day and some of our families have to be away for family obligation. I understand that. That's, that's, that's okay. But uh, let's pray this evening. God will do work in our hearts. And, and I'm going to give you a phrase tonight that's going to be our model for the next several days. I want you to take and, and to see and let the Lord work your heart. Now, we're going to be First 1 Timothy 6. And we've got about eight verses to read, so I'm going to begin by reading the odd number verse, verse 11. We're going to read down to verse 19. You're going to read the even number verse. I want you to read loudly and distinctly. We read okay this morning in morning service. I think people are just a little bit tired there. And so tonight, I want you to be rejuvenated, okay? And you read loud and clearly, and let's just have a fun time in the Word of God this evening as we see what God's Word has to say about this matter here. Okay, I'll start as verse 11. But thou, O man of God, Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Congregation, fight the good. Listen very carefully. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. A congregation, that thou keep this commandment <clears throat> which in his times he shall show who is that blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Altogether, who only has... <clears throat> Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Altogether, they that do good... Verse 19, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. I'll call your attention tonight as the context this evening pretty much from verse 5 or so is, or verse 6 is dealing with the matter of gain and riches and money and covetousness. And money's not a bad thing itself, as we'll see tonight. But I call your attention this evening to verse 18. There's a phrase there I want you to catch. Do you look at it, please? It says, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That, that's, that's the attitude we're to have in church. Amen? Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. I'm going to define the terms to you tonight. And we're going to get into this. We're going to spend a lot of time over the next year or so preaching through a lot of the epistles because I think we need to get some reviews on some things. And uh, we'll probably do a quick New Testament survey and highlight some key elements out of these chapters here. But I want you to notice that tonight. He says, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. We are seven nights away from our giving by faith offering. The title of the message this evening is, Ready, Set, Give. Ready, Set, Give. 
And I'm so thankful. I was just spending some time studying and preparing for some things and looking over some reports. And I'm so thankful for a good response of our people who helped over the last several months, especially when January came up, for the, for the 1K offering, which just seems like so long ago. But the 1K offering, so many folks participated in that. And uh, once again, we're coming back to this place. We're just concerned and, and burdened about just wanting to make sure we just stay ahead of the debt situation we have and to pay that down. And I want you to just be encouraged tonight from the scriptures we read in terms of this matter, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now, as I'm reading that tonight, before we, we pray, I'm reminded of a story of a man who worked all his life and saved all his money, but was a miser. He was a tightwad with whatever he had. You know, how many understand what I mean by tightwad? He held very closely to the vest and what he had there. Maybe you know somebody that's a tightwad right there, okay? And uh, anyway, we won't say more about that. But uh, before he died, he told his wife the following. She says, mud honey, he says, now, you know, I, 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 I'm holding on to this money. He said, when I die, I want you to bury all my money with me in this casket. And she kind of looked at him kind of oddly. He said, now, I want you to promise me you're going to bury me. And when you close that casket, you're going to bury me with all that money I've got there. And so being a good wife, she said, yes, I'll promise to bury. When you get buried, when you die, I'll bury you with all your money. Well, the day came when he passed away. They had his funeral. And the, just before the casket was sealed, of course, some people knew about this. Before the casket was sealed, she went up to the envelope. She went up to the, 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 the casket there, and she kissed him goodbye. And then she took a white envelope and put the envelope inside the casket. And and then she said, go and seal the casket. So everybody's kind of thinking with bated breath that all that money he had was there. But she's never thinking, man, just an envelope. What's going on there? So they closed the casket. They buried him. And after the, the, the service was over, a friend of hers came up to her and knew about this request of her husband that he wanted to be buried with all his money. And she said to him, she said to her, I thought, she said, now, did you really, did you really put all that money that he had inside the casket? She said, I wanted to be a good wife. I didn't want to break my word. I put a check inside that, that casket and they buried him with that check. Okay. Now tonight, I'm not telling you to be buried with all your money, but I'm telling you to be ready to write a check, amen, and be ready to give next Sunday for what we're going to do, and we're going to pray that God will do something great in us. Father, thank you for the good service we had today. Thank you for Chan Wynn getting saved this morning and trusting Christ as Savior. Thank you for Bob and Kathy, that their grandson and his friend got saved today, and several others that we're waiting for reports on, and we're just thankful for people getting saved and church doors being open, and Lord, just a good spirit that you've given, and Lord, we're especially thankful today for the mothers who've been acknowledged and thank, and I pray that not just be once a year that we look at that, but but just be encouraged by every woman who is here in church, especially the mothers, and just give me honor to them. And thank you, the Lord, in our midst. There's some Hannahs, and there's some Jacobeds, and there's some Loises and Eunices. And thank you, there's some Salomes who, Lord, just mothers who love you. And thank you, there's some Marys and Elizabeths that you've raised up in our church. And I pray in a great way you'll be glorified. Tonight, I pray that you'd help our church to honor you as we, we prepare for the giving by faith offering. But tonight, as we do that, we also want to be built up in the Word of God, and uh, we pray that you're word would speak to us. There's some rich doctrine here, but doctrine always results in duty. And we pray tonight that we just be faithful in that matter. God, would you help us? There are many in our church who have been blessed in great ways, who perhaps are ready to respond. And then others, dear Lord, who are struggling. They're having some difficulties and challenges and just wondering even how they can just pay their bills for the rest of this month. And I'm just praying tonight that the Holy Spirit will give enlightenment, help us to change a few things, help us, Lord, to see some things we could, we could do differently, help us to see how we can live by faith and trust you for some things and do more than we've ever done before. And so, God, tonight, would you bless this service and would you work in this message and work in our lives? We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, you know, this Berean Center we, we have, we thank God that uh, the church for nine consecutive years has given sacrificially to get this Heritage Center up and get the Berean Center up. And of course, if we did have these buildings, we would be very tight in terms of just having, be able to accommodate everybody inside of our rooms there. But we're just thankful that the Berean Center is being used on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, uh, from Wednesday evenings and on Fridays. And sometimes when we have special things going on during the week, we thank God for that. And uh, this, this building that we have, that Berean Center is built for growth. We're praying for more growth. We're going to try to do some things this summer, go into the fall, kind of kick things up a little bit more so we can see more growth and have a few more special things going on. And uh, we, we have room for growth. We thank the Lord for that. Our main, our main building now has a lot of capacity for growth. We're praying for more things we could do there. But with all that, we owe about $4.6 on this property, about three point five on the Berean Center by itself. And, of course, as we're making monthly payments, we're thankful for. We want to be able to be very prudent and pay that down faster, not, not later, and getting that done. I think it's prudent and wise for us to pay that down. And if we could do so, we would free up some money to just be put back in other usages for ministry and pray about some expansions there. So 1 Timothy 6, believe it or not, there's some encouragement that God gives us about that matter. And I want you to take some good notes tonight as we study. First of all, I want you to notice some key words in 1 Timothy. Get your pen out and your, hand, and your notebook and, and I want you to write down some notes there because there's some key words you want to look at in 1 Timothy. Number one, the, one, the first, the main key word I want you to notice in 1 Timothy is the word godliness. The word godliness. Now godliness is found 15 times of the New Testament. Of those 15 times, 11 of those times are found in 1 Timothy. Now, that says something to us here, okay? Now, godliness is associated about everything written there. It's associated with the doctrines of Scripture. It's associated with our duty. It's associated with our behavior. And it's associated with the fact that God wants His people to be a godly people. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you'll go back there for just a minute, he makes this statement here, 1 Timothy 3. He says here um, in verse, verse 16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, godliness is summed up in Jesus Christ. The mystery of godliness. You know, there are several mysteries that the New Testament speaks about. There's the mystery concerning the New Testament local church. There's the mystery concerning godliness. There's some things that were not revealed in the Old Testament that were revealed in the New Testament there. And godliness should not be a word that makes us run, and it should not make us flee, but godliness is one of those words we should run to, amen? Because it speaks to us about what God wants of us. Now, if you look at the, the definition, the word godliness means a piety towards God. But boy, on that, you can just sum it up in our words by saying it is a word that describes you and me being just like God. How many believe tonight God wants us to be just like Him? Amen? We're His children and He wants His children to resemble Him. In Acts chapter 3 verse 12, we find that the word holiness is used, but it's the same word, Eusebius, that's used for the word godliness. So word number one I want you to think about tonight, this is a key word, is the word godliness. Another key word or key words I want you to notice in chapter 6. Two words, charge and command. Go back to what we just read. Verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world. Notice verse 14, another key word, that thou keep this commandment. Notice verse 13, I give thee charge. The word charge and commandment are the same word. The when you see the word charge, it means I command you. Now, how many understand this evening? Commandments are meant to be obeyed, amen? A commandment is something God expects us to execute and fulfill. It's not an option. It's an obligation. And so we see the words charge and command. Now, notice the word charge is used seven times in 1 Timothy. That's interesting. He charges Timothy. Pastors need to be under commandment. 
Servants of God need to be under commandment. The people of God need to be under commandment. Where he charges Timothy, it does not mean the rest of the congregation is exempt for that. Whereas it applies to the preacher, it applies to the congregation. As he was charging Timothy, he was charging the church there at Ephesus. So charge and command are important words. The command, word command or commandment are used five times in 1 Timothy. So a minimum of 12 times we find charge and command being used. God is giving us some emphasis there. A third word I want you to notice, or third key set of words, are found in 1 Timothy 6. It's the words rich and riches. We find this repeatedly mentioned in chapter 6. Now I want you to have, understand the background here. Paul is writing to an established church. He's writing to a pastor of an established church. This was not a startup church. This was not a church that was started yesterday. There's a lot of guys starting, starting churches across the country. There's a number of missionaries starting new churches. I just read about our, our missionary there in Argentina, Brother Henry and Patrick Henry, and they're doing in fact yesterday they just did their their their, their official servicing, their their uh, the official service here that they're launching off. There's this church, and I'm thankful for that. And I can still remember about three or four years ago when he was here raising money for deputation. He's on the field and getting the job done and they're already training men and getting ready to send them out in the field. But the church here that Paul's writing to is an established church. It was a church already giving offerings. It was a church already establishing itself with classes and teaching and teachers and a pastor and a church that had people that were tithing. But as we'll see tonight, God saw some things about this church that needed to get uh, recalibrated. And so tonight, God wants us to do the same thing. And so we look at these words rich and riches and I don't want us to lose sight of that, and I'll give you some definitions about that. But tonight, I want you to notice in verse 18, the emphasis is to ready to distribute, willing to communicate. I want you to see three things in our study tonight that God gives us through First Timothy. Number one, would you notice the delusion, the delusion. Go with me to verses 9 and 10. We want to see the delusion that affected the congregation. How many understand tonight, sometimes congregations can become delusional. Sometimes you and I can become delusional. We lose sight of reality what God wants to do. And that can happen when you're used to just being in the motion of doing things. It can happen you just sit there and you're just kind of daydreaming and wandering off. Don't daydream tonight. Amen? Just stay, keep your mind focused on the Word of God. But we can get delusional about things. We can get used to the same preaching and get used to eating the same thing. Hey, listen, tonight, there's, if you get used, if you eat oatmeal every day, you just get used to oatmeal. In fact, you can get to a place where you can eat oatmeal without putting anything in it. You just get used to it bland. You don't even realize you're eating it. You can get to a place where you get so used to spicy foods, you just get used to it. You don't even know you're eating it. We can we must be very, very careful. We shouldn't get used to the Word of God. We shouldn't get used to holiness. We should get used to being challenged by, by the Word of God. We should be with an attitude, God, thank you, we've got a church. Thank you, the Word of God's being preached. Thank you, God, you challenge us. Thank you, you care enough and love enough, uh, love us enough. You want us to go on. But notice this delusion here. We're talking about believers who were being encouraged to live godly lives in an ungodly world. They were being encouraged to live godly lives in a godly world. Now, as we look at the word godliness, that was the first key word I gave you. The word godliness attaches itself to the matter of our giving, the matter of our finances. Now, keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this this evening. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy about some delusions about money and riches. Look at number one as we look at this delusion. First, I want you to consider, first of all, the prudence concerning money. The prudence concerning money. There's some prudence there's some wisdom God gives us concerning money, okay? Now, this is not a long diatribe about finances, but I do want to give you some key principles. Number one, number one, money in itself is not evil. Would you say that with me tonight? Money in itself is not evil. Say that again with me tonight. Money in itself is not evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. Look at verse 10. 
For the love of money is the root of all evil. I remember a man telling me as he was kind of transitioning some things, and he made the statement to me, and actually was in our old fellowship hall. It was somebody who should have been serving God, but you could tell the tendency was moving away. And, he, and I said, well, what are you going to do with that? He says, Brother Fong, I just want you to know I just love making money. I just love what I do, and I'm just going to keep on doing it. Well, he's not anywhere near where he used to be for the Lord also right now. And I'm just saying tonight, it's not money itself that's evil, but the love of money that is the root of all evil. Now notice he said it's the root of all evil. That's a starting point. Now we need to do a heart check tonight. How much do you love money? Would you put your wallet on the table and give it all to Jesus tonight if you said give it to me? Would you write that check tonight? Do you love money? Or do you love God? The question comes down to what type of control does money have on us? And be honest with me tonight. If you've got any kind of money, it controls you. Because I don't, think, I don't think the majority of us here tonight are willing to surrender everything and say, God, Jesus, take it all. We may say, take the world, but give me Jesus. But when it comes down to you're going to ask to give something, there may be very little participation. I'm just saying tonight, we must be concerned that money itself is not evil. Money is needed for day-to-day -day living, but we have to ask ourselves a question. And Paul had to get down to, as Dr. McGee used to say, he had to get down to where the rubber meets the road here. Secondly, it is prudent for us to save, invest, and achieve financial independence as you get older. There's nothing wrong with that. You need to do that. You're going to get older. There's going to come a point in time, if you have a regular job, you're not going to be able to do that. There's going to come a time where you're not able to keep up with the pace you used to. There's going to come a time you just need to kind of slow down and realize you just can't keep doing that. If you can do it, praise God for that. But a lot of people realize there comes a point in their life where they can't do that. And so we must understand it's prudent to save and invest. You say, what does the Bible say that? Go with me to Proverbs 21.20. Don't look at your notes. Go to your Bible tonight. Proverbs 21.20. If you read Proverbs 21 verses 18 to 21, he gives us some insight about that. Remember, Solomon's writing from the standpoint, he was handed down everything, but he had count, he counseled many people who were, very, who were not very prudent with their money there. Now notice Proverbs 21.20 tonight. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to ask you to read it with me. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Would you read that together with me? There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. Now what's he telling us there, okay? Very simple by finances. Foolish people spend up their money. Wise people, when you go to their home, they're saving it up. There's treasure to be desired and oil to be found. He's talking about savers and spenders. Savers and spenders. It doesn't take a rocket science figure as you read through scriptures. God is giving emphasis on savers. He's giving emphasis on those who are being very careful and prudent with the handling of their finances. Spurgeon said this, there is no grace in waste. And so tonight we must understand it is prudent to save, invest, and achieve financial independence. Now as we read verses, verses 9 through 11, would you notice that with me tonight? Paul is not attacking saving. Paul is not preaching against saving. He's not preaching against financial independence. But he is preaching about the, about the matter of the heart here. Okay, So that's why I said, number one, money in itself is not evil. Number two, it's prudent to save, invest, and achieve financial independence. But notice thirdly, as a steward, that's how we have to envision ourselves. As a steward, we must see money as a tool to be used for the glory of God. We must see money as a tool to be used for the glory of God. W. Graham Scroggie, which was an old, old commentator, wrote several good commentaries, said this, there are two ways in which a Christian 
Christian may view his money. How much of my money shall I use for God or how much of God's money shall I use for myself? And I think that's a very, very simple, good question for us to look at. So there's this delusion tonight. We understand the prudence concerning money. Would you notice in our passage tonight, number two, letter B, the perils concerning money. There are some perils concerning money. Now, money and riches can make us delusional. You can get caught up with the chase. You can get caught up with the crowd. You can find yourself talking the same talk as the secular world. We can get caught up with it. Money and riches can be delusional. Paul addresses the perils and dangers of living solely for riches and for money. Now, I want you to see some things he talks about here. Notice, first of all, in these perils, would you consider the evil desire? Notice some things he says here. He says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and snares. And he's saying there, if you're going, Brother Denny read an excellent verse out of Proverbs. He read about a verse about those where their goal is to be rich. Their goal is, it means, in other words, their number one goal, they're living for, they're working for, they're breathing for, is financial achievement. It's all about them. It's all about that next level, about that next thing there. Notice what he says there. They that will be rich. He was addressing young professionals in, his con- in that congregation Timothy was in. He was addressing middle management people. He was addressing people that were entrepreneurs and owned businesses. He was addressing businessmen and businesswomen. They that will be rich, he says, fall into temptations. There, he's talking about evil desire. Look at later on in verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Listen, when the love of money and the desire to be rich is your goal, he calls it an evil desire. Secondly, he not only speaks about the evil desire, notice he speaks about the erring devotion. Look at the phrases he uses here in verse, verse 9. But they that will be rich, notice this, fall into temptations, snares. And then he says this, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Would you underline that? Would you take a moment to underline that? Many foolish and hurtful lusts. In other words, when the goal is money itself, off of that there branches off many hurtful and foolish lusts. Many hurtful and foolish ways of spending the money, spending it away. Spending it down, blowing it. Many foolish and hurtful lusts, gambling, investing without being wise, listening to the hype from somebody else. The worst, listen to me tonight, worst thing to do is to get into a hub of conversation and some big mouth who likes to boast about what the, how much money they did and what percentage they gained, and, you, and then you think that that person's good. Always ask yourself this question. They always tell us about what they made. They never tell you about what they lose. And you need to, don't follow that kind of crowd there, okay? They're going to tell you that, and you're going to go go and follow that, doing your own research and realizing what's going on there. Notice what he says there. They fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Then notice another phrase he uses there. Go to verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, and and he puts a colon there, then notice this. Which while some have coveted after, he's talking about members of that congregation. Which while some coveted after, they coveted after money, lustful gain. They have erred from the faith, he said. They have erred from the faith. You know what it did? It took away their devotion from God. It moved them away from serving the Lord. 
They lost their luster and their glitter for Jesus Christ. Where they used to stand up for Jesus and give all that they could in serving God. They didn't have time for God anymore. The job became more important than Jesus. And gold became more important than God. Remember the emphasis here is on God. He watched the glow of godliness evaporate from their lives. He watched the glitter to go away. And he watched that their fervency for Christ became more professionalism instead of fervency for Jesus Christ. Look at again what it says in verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith. They started interjecting their opinions instead of being obedient. They started to realize that they were not in submission to things God said. They were erring from the faith. They were, making, they were not making faith decisions. They were making foolish decisions there. So we see the erring devotion. Luke 12, 21 says about the rich man that Jesus spoke about. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And that's a great verse for us to think about tonight. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So the perils are, are if you would, the evil desire the erring devotion. But notice in verses 9 and 10, he speaks about the excruciating distress. Now, we don't give much thought to that. I don't know if in your devotion, when you read verses 9 to 10 here, or verse 9 to 11, if you kind of just skip through that or read through it very quickly. But I want you to notice with me the very colorful description the Apostle Paul gives about when, when covetousness and money is our God. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, they fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which notice this, which drown. Have you ever seen anybody drown? Have you ever drowned? When you drown, you go down and you're not coming back up. You got more water in your lungs than you got air in your lungs. You know what I'm saying? He says, which drowned man, notice this in these two words, destruction and perdition. It drowns him. It suffocates him. And then notice, notice what he says in verse 10. They've erred from the faith, and he says they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. This excruciating distress. There are perils with covetousness. Woodrow Crowell said this, he is a poor man who can only measure his wealth in dollars. Number one, number one, we see the delusion. Number two, would you go with me please? We see number one, the delusion. Number two, notice the defense. Now, Paul is saying this because, remember, the quest here is for godliness. That's what he's writing about all through, this, all through the book of 1 Timothy, about godly people. He's writing to an established church. He's writing to people who've gotten saved, and they've, and they've done well, and God has blessed them, and they've done well in their careers and their jobs, and God's not against that. But we must always never forget Deuteronomy 8.18. It is the Lord our God which gives us the power to acquire wealth. Amen? You know, without God, we wouldn't get it done there. And so he's talking about them, but he's watched he's watch some things slip aside, and he's thinking about some who drown themselves in destruction and perdition and some who erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I mean, you know, tonight, and I'll say this a little bit later, but you kind of wonder, is that what happened to Demas? He talked about Demas in 2 Timothy, that Demas having loved this present world. You kind of wonder, is that what happened to Gehazi? Gehazi was offered all these things and he couldn't say no to those things and he, and he appealed to that. And so Paul writes here out of love to Timothy as a man of God and he writes to the church, the congregation there at, at Ephesus about these things and he gives us some words of defense. Notice defense number one is found in verse 11. Defense number one is the word flee. Run. You know, we saw that uh, a, f- a couple weeks ago as we were studying and working through First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. He said, flee fornication. There's some things God tells us to run from. Notice this is one of them. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. I mean, there, if there's anything you need to learn in the, in, the, in the walk with God and serving God, you need to know when to run. Amen? You need to know when to run from certain things. He told Timothy again in 2 Timothy 2 verse 22. He said, but thou, flee these things. And he told Timothy, you need to flee these 
these things. You need to run from covetous. You need to run from those temptations. You need to run for that Lord. He says you need to run for these things. I wonder what would have happened if Gehazi had run from the covetousness. I wonder what would have happened if Demas, uh, if Demas had run from being offered the world. I, I'm saying tonight as a Christian, we need to run. Run, Christian, run. When Satan starts to throw those things, we need to run. What would have happened if Eve had run from Satan's allure as he came to her as a slithering serpent? Number one, we need to run. We need to flee. Number two, we need to follow. Look at verse 11 again. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Now, it's, it's important to know to run from, but what are you running to? Amen? And he said, in the running, he doesn't say run to, he says follow. Because you know what he's saying there? Those five or six things he mentions, those virtues, are things they used to do. These are things, the priority of order for the Christian life. Now, what I'm telling you tonight, it'll save a lot of us from a lot of, lot of problems later on if you follow this tonight. Now watch what he says here. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Now if you study all those words in the context of the gain for money, he's talking us pursue character rather than covetousness. Have a right attitude about what God wants you. Notice this. He's saying, you know, instead of just uh, trying to do what you see, exercise some faith. And live in godliness. Uh, love people. Uh, have patience. Have meekness there. Uh, follow godly living and not a godless lifestyle. Follow helping people in the cause of Christ and not personal advancement there. He's saying we must flee we must follow. And again, he makes emphasis on the matter of godliness. Now, what do you say? Why do you see righteousness and godliness and faith and uh, love and patience? Look, you watch this tonight, okay? And I have time to get into this. It'll be another message. Churches start to slide. Christian life starts to slide. And we attain what the church at Ephesus later had in Revelation 2, where they did all these things, but they didn't love the Lord in doing it. Or we get like the church at Laodicea, which, notice the description Jesus gave. They were rich and increased with goods, and the Bible says they had need of nothing. And they got to the place where the Bible describes them as being neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. They were indifferent to the things of God. And watch what happens. You can see the sure signs when there's a, there's a lesser emphasis or de-emphasis on righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness, a de-emphasis. Now let's evaluate our lives. Why did he define all this? Because some of those are the fruit of the Spirit. And some of these things are things that need to be practiced in our life. We become, the more we have a quest for things that we, when we want things, that there's, we have less patience with ourselves. Less patience with others. There's less of a tendency to do the right thing. There's less of a tendency to exercise faith. Hey, watch it tonight. If we're not guided by grace and we're not guided with the spirit of godliness, there's more of a tendency to give based on what we see as our ability versus based on what our availability for what God wants us to do. And so tonight, we must flee. We must follow. But notice he says something else. Notice verse 12. We must fight. Fight the good fight of faith. You read First and Second Timothy, there are people who uh, stop fighting for the faith. Now, I'm not, he's not talking about fighting with the brethren, amen? He's not talking about fighting with one another. He's not talking about fighting within ministries. He's not talking about that. He said, fight the good fight of faith. Hey, I understand today, we are living in a day and age, we need to fight for the church, amen? Yeah. 
We need to fight for our doctrines. We need to fight for godly living. We need to fight for moral purity. We need to fight for uh, winning souls for Christ and fight for missions and not just see them as calendar events. That should be year-round, these things. And he's saying here in verse, verse, uh, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. I like that phrase. He's saying keep things of eternal nature in perspective. What's he saying with all that? When you tie that all together, notice he's saying fight to keep your doctrine right. Fight to keep from being distracted in the wrong direction. Fight the temptation to give in the world. Hey, you go back to this example of about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was tempted to go hide himself inside the temple. Remember that? And he said, he told, he told his brethren, who, uh, he said, should, should such a man as I flee and run into the temple? And he told them, he told them as they were on the wall, he said, fight for your brethren and fight for the wall and fight for God and fight for your marriages. And so he's saying, fight the good fight of faith there. We need to take, take, we need to fight the lies of the devil as we said last week. And we need to fight to keep our focus on things eternal and not, and not temporal. Hey, listen tonight, we need to fight to keep things straight in the church. We need to fight to make sure that, that we don't let the devil get a foothold in any area of the church it's right for God. We need to fight to have a good spirit in church, amen? We need to fight to keep the music right in church, amen? We need to fight to make sure we have a, so many fervor Let me say, with the summer coming up, don't slack off on serving God, and don't slack off on winning souls, and don't slack off on soul winning. You, some of you need to get, get involved and sign up and say, I'm in it all the way. Not because Alan Fong said it's right, the Word of God says it's right. I'm just trying to follow God and do what's right here, amen? I'm just saying tonight, what we're saying here is not the exception, it's the norm of the Christian life there. Hey, we need to fight to have a holy church. We need to fight to make sure things are sharp and things are right. We need to make sure that we don't come next Sunday with a lackadaisical attitude and take up a so-so offering. That doesn't glorify God. You say, well, what if we took a substantial offering? Well, we take a substantial offering, we'll give God the glory, and we'll honor him. But I always think about the fact, whatever substantial, there's a little bit more than we could have done. And I'm just saying this evening, we need to fight that temptation, that spirit that wants us to go elsewise. But there's another word he gives. There's, we need to flee, we need to follow, we need to fight. But notice verses 13 to 16. And the key word I want you to notice in verse 14. He says here, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we read verse 13 to 16, the whole emphasis revolves what we just read. It revolves about the soon appearing of Jesus Christ. And Paul talked much about that in his prison epistles. He talked much about Jesus could come at any time. But notice here, he's talking to Timothy, and he says here in verse 13, I give thee charge. He said to him, as he said all these things, that thou keep this commandment. So everything he said here is not an option. He's saying to flee, to follow, the fight. And as we'll see in a moment, the word faultless. He's saying in all these things, we, these are commands of God. These are not options for us to consider. These are obligations. We, have a, we are asked by, we're commanded by God to follow these things. So notice what he's telling Timothy. And he's telling the church at Ephesus. That thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, unto the parent of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying there? We need to be faultless when it comes to our money. Money reveals our character. Money reveals what we think about all the time. Our acquisitions tell, tell people volumes of things about what we think about us, what we think about God. And he's saying here, keep this commandment without spot and rebuke. We need to be faultless before the Lord in this. He says we need to do these things. We need to send ahead. And notice he says this here. He says here about, about doing these things as, as he says in verse 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. He's, he's giving us the analogy or the comparison. When Christ stood before Pontius Pilate, there was extreme pressure, as you and I would have been under, to basically cave in. <coughs> and Jesus could have caved in humanly. He didn't because he was the Son of God. Amen. But sometimes when the temptation is very strong, you might say right now when the temptation is not there, I wouldn't cave in. You don't know. You might cave in. 
Better people than you and me have caved in. And he's saying, be very, very careful. As Jesus witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate, when the pressure was there, when he was, he was facing the fact his life was on the line. Listen, when it's your career that's on the line, your job that's on the line, the next meal's on the line, it's interesting what those pressures do to us to cave in. And he's saying here, he witnessed that he gave a good, good confession before Pontius Pilate. But he's talking about here, all these things here in verses 13 to 16, about the future. And as he's talking about the future, as we'll see again later on in verse 19, he's saying, we need to be prepared to live our life in anticipation that we're going to be in heaven one day. Whatever you're doing now, you're sending ahead for heaven there. So we see tonight, the, we see that Paul gives us the delusion in verses 9 to 11. He gives us the defense in verses 11 to 13, 16. But you notice if we get down to where we're getting for it for next week. Would you notice the decree? Now remember the key words here are charge and command. In verses 17 to 19, he gives us the decree. Now he's told, he's told Timothy uh, the importance of contentment. He's told Timothy about the dangers of living for money and ch- going after living for the chase. And now notice verse 17, which you notice is very importantly. Paul said, charge them that are rich. Now in the church, in those days, the first century, and for many years after that, there are two classes of people. You either were rich or you are poor. They didn't really have a middle class like we understand it. Just read your New Testament very carefully and go back and read the historical content there. They were rich or poor. The poor had very little. The rich had abundance. Okay. Now let me say this to you tonight. If you haven't traveled much, if you live here in America, you have more than one meal a day, and you can pay your bills, you're rich in comparison to the rest of the world. Amen? In some parts of the world, some places I've been to, a day's wages are $2 a day, U.S. money. That's considered just get, to get by with. $2 to $5 a day, and they're barely having to make it. I've been to some poor places in the world. I've been to some very pitiful places in the world. I've been to places where there is no sewer. Just below their house is the sewer there, and the, the stench is just unimaginable there. I've been to places like that. I wouldn't want to live there, but that's poor. You live in America. You're an American. You have at least one meal a day. You can pay your bills. You can put gas in your car. You're rich compared to the rest of the world. So I want you to understand tonight, the charge given here is to everybody so, is a tenants here and a member of Heritage Baptist. Church, can I hear an amen tonight? Charge them that are rich. He's talking to you and me. Don't you look around your neighbors as well because he drives a better car than me or whatever it may be. That that's no. Everybody here is rich tonight as far as God is concerned. Everybody here is rich here. Okay. And notice what he says here. Charge them that are rich. Charge them that have money. Charge them that have jobs. Charge them that keep it. By the way, he's just saying charge them that have blessings from God. Amen. And what's he charging us? I wanted to break this down for you. And I'm not going to alliterate this. I want you to understand very clearly what this is saying. Command them, command them. Number one, look at verse 17, that they be not high-minded. You know, first thing he's saying, when we have material possessions, don't stretch your stuff. How many understand what I mean by that tonight, amen? Don't stretch your stuff. Don't stick your nose up in the air. Don't try to pretend that you're better than somebody else. Don't come with that attitude that you think that you're beyond other people there. Don't stretch your stuff. Remember that everything you have is from God. God giveth and God taketh, amen? He says, get our heads out of the clouds and back to real life matters. Charge them that are rich as well, be not high-minded. You know, if you have that attitude, well, I, I, I imagine I'm the, one of the top tithers of the church. You know what? First of all, the tithe is not yours, amen? amen. The tithe belongs to God. 
If you even think like that, you need to confess your sin right now before God. I, I get around some guys, they tell they you this in outside circles. Well, I think I'm probably one of the top 10 givers of the church. I said, if you believe that, then you've already sinned against God because you're not giving as much as you could be. The fact that you're even thinking that way, that's wrong. It's charging that are, that are rich not to be high-minded in this world. Secondly, look at secondly, verse, verse uh, 17. That they be not high-minded. And he says this, nor trust in uncertain riches. Now, uncertain riches is that speculation about the future. It's planning ahead where you're thinking, well, if I keep doing this, I'll be here. It's kind of like David at that place in number in First Chronicles 21 when he when he told Joab, I want you to go number, go number the the the, the armies of Israel because I want to see how big I am. And Joab even had enough sense. Why do you want to know that? Aren't they the Lord's army anyway? Why do you care about how much you have? Why do you care about how many? Hey, and that should be our attitude. We should not be the place we're worrying about and thinking about what do we have and what is my net worth and how many zeros are after that. He says, he says here, no trust in uncertain riches where you've got, or maybe you've made an investment and in your speculation, you're thinking, man, if it makes this return turn if it does this. He says, that's not how we're supposed to live. If we're living like that, those are, that's an inroad to covetousness. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? Amen. He says, nor trust in uncertain riches. That's what he's saying there. But in the living God. He said, look it, you, you're trusting money. That's inanimate. Money's not alive. God's alive. Amen. God is the one who provides. Don't, don't trust in that job. Don't trust in that cash flow machine or whatever it may be. He says, don't put your trust in riches that have no certainty, but in the living God. Let me give you some thoughts here tonight. When he says all that, it takes us back to what he said in verse 11, to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Here's some thoughts I want to give you tonight with that. Okay, you ready? Don't be afraid to part with your money and exercise some faith. Don't be afraid to part with your money and exercise some faith. Walk by faith, not by sight. Here's the second thought. God, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. If you're not enjoying it, you're, you're, not, you're not where God wants you to be. Uh, don't be a hoarder when it comes to money. Uh, God will take care of you as you take care of God's work. Uh, the economy, notice he's talking about uncertain riches. Economies go through ups and down cycles. Don't put your, mark, your, your trust in market trends and newest fads. The fact that God is greater than all of that, Amen. You can make your plans and then another, another tariff comes up by President Trump and that could, that could sink everything you've got, sink your dreams right there, amen, you know? There'll be new presidents. There'll be a different Congress. There'll be hostile, there'll be, hostile. by the way, I was with Dr. Gibbs, we were with a bunch of folks on the other day, it was Dr. Gibbs and people and we're sitting and, and there, there were probably about 30, 30 very influential men I was with in that room and Dr. Gibbs was sitting by me and he says, Brother Fong, you told the preacher, he said, Brother Fong, preacher, I want to tell you guys something. He said, the day's coming, it's, it's very around the corner, the tax exemption is going to be gone. He says, we're going to be tested about how, how much people, God's people are going to be giving when they can't de- write it off as a doctor. By the way, let me ask you a question. If you couldn't write it off, would you still tie it? If you couldn't claim your Schedule A, would you still tithe? Would you still be, be systematic? By the way, tithing is to be systematic. The Bible says specifically it's a command. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, let every one of you lay aside as God has prospered him on the first day of the week. That's what our tithing is supposed to be like. That's what our giving is supposed to be like. Not when we do as a whim, not when we remember, not when we feel like it. Hey, listen, God knows the records, amen? And then thirdly, notice this, he says, he says, this is good, I love this. He says, now charge them that are rich in this world, they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. And again, the trust here is the faith factor. And then he says, he gives us all, richly all things to enjoy. Then notice verse 18. 
that they do good and be rich in good works. That's a great thought. He just makes it very simple. Even a child can understand this, right? That they do good. Now, what is the good and good works associated with? Well, the whole context is dealing with money. The good works associated with your giving in church. Now, remember the context here. This was an established church. This was a church that already had tithers and givers. And they probably were just, you know, the whole concept of giving to missions was, was, was unfolding at that time. There were special offering needs, and there were, there were sometimes when the, the, the churches, like at Jerusalem, when they had suffering, the churches in Macedonia, they took up special offerings and helped them. They, were, they took impromptu offerings for those type of things there. And, and so you've got to remember these are churches that were established, but I want you to understand something. The, this church here, and, and Timothy, because Timothy now is the, he's like the second or third pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he's coming out behind the, the, the shadow of the Apostle Paul. And Timothy's not like Paul. And he, and he doesn't preach strong giving sermons like Paul. And, and he's, not, he's a little bit timid because we see that about Timothy. And repeatedly Paul says that let no man despise thy youth. And you need to take a stand here. And he's encouraging Timothy about how to address the congregation, especially an established congregation and a very affluent congregation about the matter of giving. And he, and he, and he says here, I want you to understand something, Timothy. That, you know, that it's a giving church, but they're not giving like they could be. They're not giving like they used to do. They're not giving the spirit they used to have. They think, they think well, let other people give because they've got a job. Hey, that shouldn't be our attitude. We should be delight, delighted that we get the opportunity to give to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Because get, worship without giving is not worship. Everywhere you find worship in the Bible, there's always a spirit of giving associated with that. It costs something. There were tears that would flow. It was costing somebody to give something there. So he says that they do, do good and be rich in good works. Now, let me say a few things about that. Tithing is a command, and it's a good work. Amen. Amen. Faith promise for missions is a good work. Giving by faith, as we're encouraging the church to do, for debt reduction, expansion, remodeling, and all those things for the church, that's a good work. It's for the church of God, okay? We saw this. I alluded to this last week. I'll allude to it again. In 2 Chronicles 24, we have the story there about Joash. And Joash became the king, and they had some disrepair that went on. And the house of God needed repair. It needed, it needed a facelift really badly. It needed some help. And he said, he went to the high priest. He said, how come you're not doing anything about this? Man, we've got to take an offering. He got this big box out. They called Joash's box. Got this big chest out. And people came. And they took up offering. He said, listen, we're going to take an offering. And everybody in the kingdom needed to come and bring an offering. So everybody, as they came, and they did their worship. They brought their sacrifice. They brought a, they brought a coin offering because that's what they didn't have cash in those days. They brought a coin offering. And they gave. And the Bible says the chest was filled up. And they had to pour it out. And it filled up again. And they poured it out. I mean, people gave abundantly for that offering, for the repair of the Word of God, the work of God. Hey, God's work. We need to be investing in God's work. Listen, when people come, they ought to be like the Queen of Sheba. They see what God's done here. And their hearts should be touched by it and say, hey, you know, these people keep this work sharp. These people care about the work of God. These people are concerned. It's not about what somebody else is doing. It's just, you know, I'm going to pick up my broom and I'm going to do my part. And I'm going to bring my offering. I'm going to do my part for the work of God. By the way, young people can give to offerings. Young people can participate. Children can participate. Teenagers can participate. Retirees can participate there. So we see, first of all, we should not be high-minded. Secondly, we shouldn't put our trust in riches that have no certainty but the living God. Thirdly, we need to be rich in good works. But notice fourth, would you write this down? This is good. I love this part in verse 18. He says that they do good, that they be rich in good works. Notice the next phrase, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Would you say that with me tonight? Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Say that with me tonight. I want you to be enthusiastic. Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Say it one more time. Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. And what's he saying there? You need to be ready to give. 
Offerings come, be ready. That's the Bible right there. Ready to give. Ready to give. Prepared. The word communication is a very interesting word. We're going to look at that a little bit there. We get the first Thessalonians 5, I think, verses 10 and 11. On one, one of these Wednesday nights coming up here. The word communicate is used here, is used in Galatians chapter 6. And it's used also in, uh, let's see, I think it's used in, in Philippians chapter 4. It may even be used later on in 2 Corinthians. The word communicate can imply, it's the same word we get our word fellowship from. But it's talking about the sharing and contributing with the other members of the church. Go with me to Galatians 6.6. 6. Would you go there? I think we need to read that together so you understand the context of what I'm saying there. Go with me to Galatians 6.6. 6. You guys are falling asleep because it's Mother's Day. Let's read some scripture. Amen? Galatians 6.6. 6. You there? Galatians 6.6. 6. Let's get there, please. That's not in your notes. Galatians 6.6. 6. Are you there? Watch what it says. Let him that is taught in the word. Now, you've been taught in the word? Okay, communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. You know what he's saying there? The word communicate has the idea to fellowship, the fellowship of believers who are giving to the cause of the church. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches all good things. It's even more specific than that, but I'm not going to get into that tonight. Go with me over, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, notice verses 14 to 15. You there? Okay. Notwithstanding, you have well done. Now, I like what Paul's attitude there. He says, you've well done. By the way, don't you want God to say that tonight? Amen. You have well done. That ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, that in the beginning is talking about when it went into Macedonia. In the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me. What's he talking about there? Giving. The fellowship believers, you know how we exercise fellowship? When he talks about in Hebrews chapter 10, that we for not, not forsake the assembly ourselves together. And he talks about provoking one another to love and good works. He's talking about giving. And notice he says here that uh, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Now notice the specifics here is about giving and receiving. Now go back with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. The word communicate here is talking about this matter of giving. It's about the, the special offer. What happened there? They were lagging their offerings. Paul has challenged him that they need to step up in their giving. Some had, had lagged in their tithing, and some had lagged in their special offerings, and people just lagged in what they were doing. That happens in church. shouldn't happen, but it happens in churches. And so he says this phrase here in verse 18, we should be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Hey, here's what it is, okay? We get to next Sunday, we should be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. It ought to be even right now. If I just said, hey, I think I just feel led of the Lord that God's impressed on my heart that we should take an offering. Hey, you know what? I don't even have to feel led of the Lord. He just said we need to be ready to distribute when to communicate. That's the attitude we need to come to church with. Amen? The special need is given. We need to be ready to distribute when to communicate. We don't move with hype. We're not moving because of some special project that's going to glorify a man, a monument to some man. No, we need to be ready to distribute when to communicate because it's for the glory of God. Can you hear an Amen. Number five, he says in verse 19, he ties it all together, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now, I love that phrase, lay hold on eternal life. Number one, if you're not saved, the starting point, lay hold on eternal life, you need to get saved, amen? Number two, lay hold on eternal life, you need to keep souls on your mind, There's too much laxness. We need to have the attitude as Paul. 
that their blood is not on our hands. But laying up for eternal life is also in reference to their giving. What you notice in context of verse 19, laying up in store is setting ahead your giving for the future. Setting ahead for eternal. Lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth corrupt. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt. Laying up in store is sending ahead. Hey, you know what that is? That's the gold, silver, and precious stones Paul talks about there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And you're, some of us are not going to have a lot of gold, silver, and precious stones if we're not laying up in store for the future to come. He's saying we're giving with the right heart motive. This is, this is the attitude, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Notice laying them in store for themselves. You're doing yourself a favor. You're sending ahead for eternity. The people grew wary in their giving. Some of them were promoted, doing well. They got their focus on getting rich, but at the expense of the needs of the church, they forgot the church. He's just telling them, have a spirit of giving at all times, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. One of the key action words of the Bible is the word ready. Paul said, I'm ready, amen? We need to be ready. Giving is advancing the work of the Lord. Giving is taking care of God's work. That's why Nehemiah, if you read one of the strongest chapters in the Word of God, Nehemiah 13, he had to rebuke and God had to chastise the Jews because they, had, they, 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 they got rid of that storehouse room, that they, they collected things. They were supposed to have that storehouse room, and they didn't, and they gave it to that false prophet there that, that was there. And he had to clean house there, and he had to, he had to, he had to rebuke them for not giving. They had stopped their tithing and giving, and the work of God was in disrepair, and the servants of God were not being taken care of. He says, hey, you're doing wrong. He had to correct that attitude. You need to read that yourself. Sometime this week, Nehemiah 13. But he says, be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now, let me give you some things as we close tonight, okay? Number one, give according to your ability. Come prepared to give according to your ability. And then, come with an attitude, I'm willing to give beyond my ability. Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That word communicate, you do your own word study. It's a very strong word. It's just saying, don't, don't hold back. It's telling us you can be ready to give your extras and to give liberally. The Bible talks about the, the liberal soul and the liberal giver. Be over the top in your giving. Give so you can feel it. A man talked to his friend at church and he said, I could give $1,000 to a church building offering and not even feel it. And his friend who was very humble said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you give so you can feel it? Why don't you give $5,000 so you can feel it? And I think that's a good thought for us there. We can get into the, this attitude of giving where we don't feel it. Where God really wants us to feel, feel, get the sense that when we give, we actually feel it. We feel like, okay, it's, 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 I have to sacrifice a little bit here, but I'm waiting to see what God's going to do on my behalf, how God's going to take care of my need there. By the way, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, God is able, isn't he? God is able to meet all of our need. God is able to take care of our need there. So next Sunday, very simply, we need to raise a good offering, church. Debt reduction. Pay it down. Get it, get, it, get it eliminated there as quickly as possible. Everyone in the church is called to participate. Everyone can come with an offering. Everyone needs to come ready to distribute, willing to communicate. A grandfather was fertilizing his lawn and working on his yard as a farmer. He had a little grandson by the name of Douglas. And uh, he said, Douglas, I want you to help me here. We're going to fertilize the lawn. We're going to poke some holes. We're going to aerate it. We're going to aerate the lawn. We're going to fertilize, do some things like that. So I want you to help me. And Lord Douglas did what he could. He put some gloves on, put a mask on Douglas, and he started throwing the fertilizer around there, you know, stuff like that to seed the lawn, things like that. They're all done. They had a, a long day's work, and both were perspiring. They sat down, went back to the, the back porch here where the house was, drink some water and some lemonade. 
And Grandpa looked at Doug. He said, well, Douglas, you did really good. Job's all done. You look at this large area, this large area of grass. We, we aerated and we fertilized. You did good. And Grandpa reached his overalls and took a bunch of coins out and summed up to a few dollars there. And he dropped all these coins. He said, Doug, I'm going to put your hand out. And Doug just put his hand out like this. And he dropped a whole bunch of coins in his hands. Probably for a little boy like that, probably equated to about maybe two or three dollars and, and change for a little kid who's never had money before. That was a lot of money. And he's just holding it. You know how little kids are. They're, they're, his eyes got as big as silver dollars there. And he's looking at all this money there. And he says, well, Douglas, what do you think? He says, we, we did well. What do you think about all that? And Douglas looked at the money and looked at his grandpa, looked at the money, looked at his grandpa, and he said this, Grandpa, I think we need to do it again. And I think tonight we need to do it again. We need to do it again. Once and again, Paul said. Just in a few months, not long from now, we're going to have our faith promise missions giving. The church did so well last year. I'm so thankful for projects we funded and more projects we're going to fund missionaries we've taken on, increases to missionaries, more missionaries we pray that we're going to be supporting this year. But Paul said here, for the need of the church, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. I'm asking you to do something tonight from the bottom of your heart. We're going to have the invitation, the piano is going to play around the church. I want everyone in the church to find your place somewhere and I want us to kneel in prayer. We're going to spend some time in prayer. I don't even care what the people on live stream are watching, what they're wanting is going on. I'm more concerned tonight that we have the attitude, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Paul talked about the delusion, the defense. And he talked about the decree. As he closed off verses 17 19, he said, I charge you. Charge them. I command you. These are commandments from God. It's not an option. It's not a wishful thinking. You know, churches that are going ahead, they have to, they're always in, in this mode there. And evaluate our hearts tonight. First of all, are you even tithing? Are you even tithing? Are you systematic in your tithing? Secondly, are you participating enthusiastically with the offerings of the church? It's not your decision. It's God's money. God's going to have his way. God has his way of getting it back from us one way or the other there, brother and sister in Christ. I want you to find your place tonight. Find your place. Let's go to prayer. Let's ask God to have his way. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and as we do, I'll be praying up here, but I want you to find your place tonight with your family somewhere, and you find your place tonight. I know it's a smaller congregation tonight because it's Mother's Day, but let's find our place and get ourselves ready. Let's pray for God to work through our lives that he would produce to us a offering that will be pleasing and glorifying him. Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Our heart attitude needs to be as we come next Sunday, ready, set, 